0: Hello, I'm Andrew Suskind, and I'm a psychotherapist and author based in West Los Angeles since 1992, specializing in trauma and addictions. Welcome to our podcast, which I call It's Not About the Sex, also the title of my recent book. Here we focus on all topics related to compulsive sexual behavior, often referred to as sex addiction. In particular, we explore ways to build long-term sustainable recovery while establishing more meaningful connection and greater intimacy. Our intention is to offer fresh viewpoints, brand new perspectives, and practical user-friendly tools toward living a more deeply connected life. Let's get started. Hi, Sue. Hi, Andrew. How are you today?
1: You know, I'm doing pretty good today. How are you doing?
0: I'm good. We have a, a beautiful day in March, early March. And um, we could use a little bit more rain. We had a little rain this week, which was nice. But spring is around the corner. And I was walking the dog this morning, and it was bright at 6.15. Mm,
1: yeah, I love the longer days. Yeah, me sure, too. Sure, it makes a big difference. I'm noticing there's some fragrant fragrant flower that every time this, <laughs> this time of year, it really is super 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 sweet do you know which one it is
0: well at night there's night blooming jasmine and it's super potent yeah that in one. the morning there's something else i'm not sure is it honeysuckle what it is. or something maybe yeah. maybe but but either way i mean it's it's really interesting i think because we've been in the pandemic for a year now we're just passing the year mark um it feels really exciting to me to have spring with like new blossoms, new smells, light rather than dark and mm-hmm. and I, i'm just feeling hopeful.
1: Yeah, that spring is eternal hope, right?
0: Absolutely. <laughs> and in contrast to hope, today you and i are going to be talking about the inner critic. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> exactly. <We laughs> my need... favorite
1: my favorite uh my favorite topic. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's it's funny because isn't the inner critic a part of all of us?
1: Oh, of course. I would am I'm assuming that's true. Otherwise, I would think I was going crazy.
0: Yeah, but but what I wanted to do, and the reason I I brought this topic in today is because we all have it, and there are ways to tame the inner critic. So that that's our focus today. Is is identifying and taming the inner critic.
1: Wow, that sounds great. Yeah,
0: yeah. So I thought we would start with a few examples just to help our listeners understand what we're talking about today. And I have a very recent example. Last week, I was part of a virtual conference for the American Group Psychotherapy Association, what we call AGPA. And I was giving a workshop on on Thursday. And what happened was, generally speaking, I I seem to do okay with the technology of speaking at these virtual conferences, mm-hmm. but last week I I just couldn't get it. They they sent me a bunch of screenshots, which is not my mm-hmm. ideal way to learn. Uh, nobody was really walking me through it or or giving me kind of a dress rehearsal, and so. I really turned on myself. I have to say I got very stressed out and I started to get super critical of myself for not knowing how to do it by myself. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it was really evident in a way that I haven't felt in a long time where I, I felt shame. I felt this sense of, but wait a second, aren't, aren't I supposed to know how to do this? And can I really ask for help? So the inner critic was... Just out, it was just a big, big example of it for me that I haven't uh, gone through in a long time.
1: Yeah. Oh, I can relate to that. And it's interesting asking for help, right? I mean, that's like, what's stopping us from doing that? Um, and and that's a question that I think a lot of this is coming to asking yourself those hard questions, or maybe they're easy questions. You're just not asking them. But for myself, the same kind of thing happened. I was at a new job and I was um, asked to jump into somebody else's setup sort of, you know, using technology. And they set it up differently than I would. And I was expected to just hit the ground running. And, And I knew, like even saying this out loud, that that's a very difficult ask for someone to ask me to do that. I was able to do it, but I didn't feel good about it, and the inner critic was saying, "They're they're not going to ask you back. You didn't perform at the top notch level that you should have, or what they expected you to do." And um, and I accepted my the thoughts that I, I accepted accepted them as the truth, and and I kind of just put it that hey, they're not going to invite you back, so don't get upset about it when that happens. I was kind of giving myself an out, you know? Um, and they invited me back, and I'm, you know, I've been back three more times. Um, <laughs> but so, so it if,
0: couldn't have been too bad, but but your thoughts were really quite critical of yourself. Yeah, and and that's what the inner critic does, right? It... it it surprises me sometimes when it becomes big and powerful because it's not like the inner critic is there all the time, but it's almost like this idea of it's kind of doing push-ups in the corner.
1: Right. <laughs> and
0: it's waiting for that opportunity to come out and to, to get big and critical. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It feeds off of it, I guess.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, what, what do you think the, what's the birthplace of the inner critic? Where is it coming from?
0: Right. You know, it, it probably is a more complicated answer than this, but, you know, no child is is born with an inner critic. It's just not part of our birthright, right? We, we come into the world really with a blank slate, and my belief is that the inner critic is is learned it's learned behavior it's learned ways of thinking and so generally it comes from childhood and i'm not blaming anybody in particular because we come from a society and and communities and families and and schools that actually are nurturing the inner critic right but what happens is when we get critical of ourselves that becomes the well-worn path and the the neural pathways in our brains learn that that's just what we do and and then we go into automatic pilot and it grows from there mm-hmm. so i believe that others who are critical of us we absorb some mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes we absorb more than other people depends on on how much Uh, of a sponge we are Um, also witnessing others being critical right of themselves or of others is another example and and then of course we do to ourselves what was done to us or what we witnessed so it's really a matter of temperament sometimes because i sometimes talk to kids about how they're either sponges or they're ducks. Right. Right. I think I yeah. talked with you yeah. about this before. The resiliency. Yeah. And, and you and I are both sponges. We're sensitive people, <laughs> sometimes highly sensitive yeah. people. <laughs> just keep coming. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And there are people who are ducks by nature, right? They're just, their temperament is such that they let things roll off their back. And so, unfortunately, the inner critic. Gains in power when we absorb things that were mm. critical around us
1: Yep, yeah. and I like that image when you say like the well-worn path. Mm. I can just picture that, you know, that pathway being um, very trodden upon mm-hmm. um, but is it like possible it's well i know we're going to get to this but i'm just thinking like we can take other paths right we can start to create exactly other paths and yeah um but um let's go back to how the inner critic i read. have
0: to interrupt for a second too okay. because <laughs> i had this image of you and i in conquered mass yeah on a path remember uh-huh. i mean actually many paths in Concord, yes but um a few paths that are are more in in my memory and 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 you're right those those are those were very well worn paths because some of those paths actually go back to the revolution mm. and um and so in a way we're 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 identifying those paths within us that are so automatic and so um stubborn and you're right we we one of the challenges is how do we notice that and shift into a more loving, compassionate, and accepting path.
1: Because you don't know what's right around the corner, you know? Like right. I mean, to continue on with that analogy of the actual path, um, you might have to jump over a wall, but it's a beautiful meadow you would never have seen, you know? And, it, yeah, you could have got there eventually the other way, but maybe it's easier just to jump over that wall and, and get to there sooner. Right. So,
0: And sometimes we can find that way to scale the wall on our own or sometimes we need help to scale that wall. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But, but I think the first awareness piece is to notice when we're pouring salt in the wound, Mm -hmm. because that's what we're talking about is that automatic pilot that is so stubborn, so incessant that it, it becomes that over and over and over way of, of living in the world, which, which just creates that, sometimes sense of hopelessness or that sense of well this is just how it is
1: that self-attack
0: yeah, yeah. but but if, but if it you know there's an expression if you're sick and tired of being sick and tired <laughs> or in this case if you're sick and tired of being critical or self-critical what are you willing to do different and that's what we're going to be talking about as we we continue our conversation
1: so how's the critic related to shame and perfectionism
0: This is a big question, but they all typically go together for some of us more so for some less so. I would say that shame is almost always 99.9% of the time related to the inner critic because, you know, shame in in its purest sense is is really about there's something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. There's something defective. And so the inner critic just feeds off of that right Mm -hmm. and so if we have a lot of shame then the the critic it's it's just a vicious cycle right
1: right Right.
0: yep and perfectionism which I've talked about before and (laughs) and I, I I can consider myself absolutely to be a perfectionist in recovery because it wasn't a lightweight version when I was a kid I was I was super perfectionistic to the point where it caused me a lot of suffering and so perfectionism is also a friend to the inner critic because like last week when I was running into my issues technologically with the conference I the perfectionist said Andrew you're, you're supposed to get this stuff you're 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 you know, you're not a kid. You're not a, you know, what's what's wrong with you, basically. And so, so that perfectionist said, "I've got to do it perfectly," and the inner critic said, "You're a screw up, basically." So, so
1: it's not really a friend though. It's just a pair. But they, yeah, perfectionism will will um, feed into the inner critic, give it more fuel, I guess.
0: It does give it more fuel, and so. We're not just talking about the inner critic today, we're talking about the roots of the inner critic, yeah.
1: So, but it's a cycle, I would assume, but you can't, it's difficult to break, Mm -hmm. right? So so what purpose does that serve?
0: Well, that's a a great question. I think the inner critic serves a different purpose for, for everyone. But, and, and this might sound twisted, but one example in my own life is that the inner critic, on the one hand, actually was like a checks and balances. And and when I would get critical of myself, I would really go into, um, into action and I would mobilize. And I would say to the inner critic, basically, screw you, I, I'm going to show you that that I'm better than this, that I don't have to be pulled down by you or buried by you. So so for me, it, it, it was a way for me to mobilize. And even though there was a tension between the inner critic and the part of me that, that took action, it was a way for me to really, in a sense, say, oh, so this inner critic can serve a purpose. There, there can be a payoff sometimes in this. So we're not wanting to th- throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? There can be a payoff to learning about ourselves. I mean, as I say that, Sue, do you have any thoughts or reactions for yourself around what purpose your inner critic might serve you?
1: Well, it just reminds me. It's kind of like a a red light goes off and cuz I hear it all the time and I'm just more aware of it more cuz I know it wasn't really serving me in the past, but I think now like when I hear it, I'm aware of it and then it's it's helping me I guess really to look at my self-worth a little more. Um so it's just kind of as a it's it's a reminder that this is Um, it's like you said check and balance type thing like okay let's just look a little bit deeper into you know what's going on in this situation and every situation is different and every like criticism that I that I hear in my my head um, is different so I'm kind of just creating the critic to be actually like yeah I don't don't know if this is even um, the right thing to do (laughs) but like uh, who's that comic like gilbert godfrey like mm. creating it to be like a, a comedy guy right and like uh-huh. this is another voice and it's another um person saying oh you're you think of this you're not going to get mm-hmm. this done the way you're supposed to and, mm-hmm. and then it's kind of funny almost and not to let it evoke emotion because in the past i would cry i would just cry right. you know <laughs> right but now i'm learning like oh i don't have to react that way so yeah
0: right so- i mean
1: i don't know if that's like a positive way to look at it or not but i'm just changing the way i look at it
0: well it's a an example of having a different relationship with that part of you and and i actually appreciate that sue because there's something about building perspective on something that we've been looking at the same way for a long time um that is unburdening right that that somehow by building perspective it automatically creates a lighter relationship with it so i I think you're on the right track with that absolutely
1: so how do you tame the inner critic
0: right so this is the big the big question (laughs) here we
1: go we've been building up to this (laughs) right
0: well one of the things that i was talking about with you earlier is that we're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater we're not getting rid of the inner critic what what we're really trying to do is turn down the volume on the inner critic and turn up the volume on the resourceful, resilient and regulated part of you. So, so I'm going to talk for a moment about some ideas. I mean, again, this, this is just brushing the surface, but we're opening a a conversation, right? That hopefully has some value to looking at the inner critic a little differently. Now, the first thing that we mentioned before is, is we really have to admit that this is a problem. That it's causing us suffering of some sort or another Mm -hmm. and once we identify it as a problem and identify that it's been causing us suffering it already frees us up to say okay what what am i going to do different what kind of contrary action might i consider and so what i believe is the the absolute door opener for all of this is to simply observe yourself with curiosity Right, I we like could say that. that about almost anything in our lives. Right, but the inner critic, in particular, is is actually uh, sort of an attention seeker, right? And and as an attention seeker, uh, the inner critic is looking for some kind of a- a validation or acknowledgement. And by observing it, and by observing it with curiosity, we're, we're we're starting to put the the spotlight on it, right? We're not hiding from it. We're not blaming it. We're just noticing it. So that's, that's the very first thing. And then the, the next piece is you know, to, to step back and try and understand the function that it may be serving, right? Like we were talking about a moment back. To just take your time to observe the inner critic and to try and understand what, what function does it really serve? Because it always serves some kind of function. Even if it feels twisted or distorted or upside down, it's, it's serving a function. And I, I have a lot of colleagues who are studying what's called internal family systems. And what I like about internal family systems is that they're talking about parts of us. And the inner critic, or we call it, we, they might call it the skeptic or depending on what you choose to call it. But the inner critic is simply a part of us. And it's a part of us that oftentimes is acts like a gatekeeper. And what we mean by that is that the gatekeeper isn't going to let you do anything different or or talk about this in any different way until there's buy-in from the inner critic. And this might sound kind of um, esoteric, but in a way we're, we're personifying the inner critic and saying, what, what do you really want? What is it that we can understand about you that would help us get what it is that you're serving and um, what it is that is um, important about what you're doing and what you're willing to let um, live side by side with you okay so it's kind of like giving the inner critic respect and understanding it before it, it will allow for, for any additional healing opportunities. What, what is your take on that, Sue? How, how are you reacting to that? So,
1: I mean, so I'm just kind of thinking through the process a little bit. And um, the gatekeeper, so when I studied hypnotherapy, we would talk about the gatekeeper between the consciousness and the subconsciousness and allowing some things in and some things aren't coming out. Um, So I was just kind of thinking of it as that when you say gatekeeper, like, so it's kind of, I don't know, maybe just clarify that a little bit more. Like, is it allowing some things in or is it like, can you just explain that a little bit?
0: Right. You know, I, I I studied IFS for a very short period of time, so I'm certainly not a parts work expert. But the way I use the gatekeeper is almost like an image of, kind of like the Wizard of Oz when when they get to the um, Emerald City mm-hmm. and they're knocking on the big door, and um, the gatekeeper comes, which is actually like the, the bouncer, I guess. Yeah, right? yeah. exactly the bouncer, yeah. and um, and they have to do certain things in order for entry right they're not going to be allowed in any further until they complete certain things and and so in the context of what we're talking about today i think i think that the certain things are can we respect well can we identify when the inner critic is is alive and and um getting in the way can we um respect it and and understand what its function is and can we ask it for permission for being a part because it's not like it's going away for being a part of the picture but not being the predominant uh energy or 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 this uh all-powerful Oz in a sense (laughs) keeping people out right so
1: but so in that example um there's so many other levels to each one of those characters so um you know one of them doesn't have courage and for for him to decide like oh well my issue is this at the surface it looks like that but there's some deep healing that needs to go on i would think to be able to i guess you're going to get to that share your story about it but how do you how do you identify you can identify like oh this is my inner critic um this is what the purpose is but what is it really? Like underneath there's got to be still something that you need to you know resolve or or understand and and give permission to live with. Um but there's some healing I think that needs to go on before you can just uh, just live with it.
0: For sure. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and everybody has a different um composite of history and feelings and pieces that that grow into this inner critic so i agree with you it's not it's not a one-size-fits-all for sure but remember when we had jen davis with us as a as a Mm -hmm. guest and she spoke with us about mindful self-compassion yes i really see that as the primary therapeutic direction for the inner critic
1: yeah that's nice
0: Right. Mm -hmm. So if the inner critic is the predominant energy and I have lots of clients who come in to see me who are so automatically critical of themselves and and don't even realize it. Right. Right. It's so automatic and it's 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 not even uh, registering as critical for them. So what I often do is I slow them down, slow them down until they can start to observe themselves and realize, oh, that was a critical statement. Oh, I'm beating myself up here. Oh, that's salt in the wound. That's mm-hmm. not, not helpful, not healing. And, and so, you know, part of it, and, and this might be as far as some of our listeners or, or maybe uh, you and I go today, is sometimes just catching the inner critic doing what the inner critic does it's almost like a a a butterfly like a butterfly is going to kind of fly by us and we have an opportunity to catch the butterfly or it just goes on and does its thing and um i i really want to look at the butterfly right Mm -hmm. i really want to get to know it yeah and and that's that that may be as much as as anybody can do to to get started right to to get to the door
1: awareness of it yeah yeah
0: yeah. and and so if if people are able to notice it sooner and sooner that's that's major Uh uh-huh and and as they're doing that if they're able to name it and say huh that that's that's the inner critic and let me just sit with that maybe i'll journal about it maybe i'll you know, talk to my therapist about it, or, you know, maybe I'll just meditate about it, but, but to name it and really know this is my inner critic and this has value. It may not be what I want to hold on to long-term, but let me just name it. And then to start to explore what that story is around the inner critic. Mm -hmm. You know, I had certain things, um, my, my dad was was a little critical. He wasn't excessively critical, but he, he could be critical um, automatically because of his own background. And he said something to me when I was 13 about a, a certain shirt that I was wearing that he just didn't like. I mean, for some reason, it was something that he got critical of me. Mm-hmm. And I actually carried that with me and even as we're talking right (laughs) now i can feel that feeling of ouch that that doesn't feel good and i've done to myself for many many decades what my dad inadvertently did to me Mm -hmm. right and that's the story that we want to write we want to it's part of our our life story it's part of our cohesive life story and our inner critic Um, as part of that and but it doesn't have to dictate that yes right and then going back to mindful self-compassion there's something really powerful about accepting accepting ourselves fully for who we are including you know the the good the bad and the ugly and how can we move in the direction of self-acceptance self-compassion and possibly self-love. So that's just a little bit about the idea of taming the inner critic. What would you add to it, or what, what associations are you making, Sue?
1: So I think that just hearing you talk, and when you brought up your dad, a lot of the times, I I think you know, through my growth, I would go back and think of like my mom being super critical. She was very, very critical. Um, and kind of, I hate to say this, the B word, but I kind of would blame her for my inner critic. I almost like named my inner critic, like, oh, that's just my mom being critical. And that's what's coming up again and again and again, instead of really taking ownership of it. So um, even in my growth, I still feel like I, I, I still do blame her for that, which I need to obviously um, – Kind of take ownership of it a little bit more
0: so sometimes this topic can really be emotional and sometimes it really goes way way back sometimes conscious memories and sometimes even younger than that pre-verbal memories we call them and and I, I, I heard you talk about shame and blame a moment ago, Sue, and I just want to see if I'm on the right track with this. So at our our time in life nowadays, we we know that we don't want to shame and blame others. And we also know that we don't want to shame and blame ourselves. But I think what you're talking about is these are the tentacles of the inner critic. That the yeah. inner critic sometimes is looking for any excuse or any avenues to try and, and let out some of what's underneath, which oftentimes is either sadness or grief or it could be shame or anger or all of the above, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, there's definitely shame, you know, that is attached to, to the blame. I guess um, mm-hmm. that is all kind of entwined in there, deep in there. But yeah. I, I'd rather not have my inner critic be my mom's voice, and yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, it's pretty loud, so.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's hard to rename it, I guess, but that's that's my challenge that I need to work on.
0: Well, what I want to impress upon you and I'm really speaking to myself at the same time is that this is where the self-compassion piece has come in for me. Um Jen Davis, who is a former associate of mine, Talk to me about uh, a few different mindful self-compassion teachers that I could find on YouTube. There's many, but the two that she had recommended were Tara Brock and Chris Germer. And Tara Brock has a short self-compassion exercise called RAIN, R-A-I-N. Actually, it's light RAIN. And it's, it's only about an eight-minute guided meditation, but it's, it's, it's definitely worth considering if, if you're open to this and, and then secondarily, um, Chris Germer, I just think is, is really excellent in terms of his kind of user-friendly approach to self-compassion that, um, is, is very, it's just very understandable and easy and palatable. And he has a six minute self-compassion break which I do several times a week, actually. And what I'm doing when I'm listening to either uh, Tara or Chris um, is I'm trying to create new neural pathways. Mm -hmm. It's like going to the inner critic gym and saying, how can I get away from that well-worn path? And how can I instill or infuse these new pathways which is of course what neuroplasticity is all about and it's not easy it, it's hard work mm-hmm. but um i'm saying this out loud for for our listeners and for both of us that I, I really see that as the healing force it doesn't bypass the feelings that come up around the inner critic uh that doesn't bypass the the pain and, and some of the suffering that goes along with, you know, old family wounds. But what it does is it, it brings in a new voice, literally new voices, um, because my own voice doesn't always do what I want it to do like last week. And and so I, I think that's where I want to wind down our discussion today is to just emphasize the power of mindful self-compassion
1: and i don't think you can ever get too much of it right i mean if you include that in the daily thing or a weekly thing um a ritual that you can set up for yourself it it can't hurt and you can't get too much of it i would assume
0: no i've never heard of anybody (laughs) overdosing on mindful (laughs) self-compassion Um, what I do recommend, though, is to consider a morning tone setter. And I've said this before, but I'll say it in the context of the inner critic. What what I try and do is I try and be really patient and nourishing of myself in the morning. So when I get up, I have a particular morning prayer that I read. And then I go into usually one of the self-compassion guided meditations or sometimes my own um, silent meditation for just five or 10 minutes. And then I do my stretching, which is I consider mindful stretching. And, and then I take the dog for a walk and that's my morning tone setter. And it's not always perfect, but it's, it's my way of telling myself that I, I really want to start my day with some kind of experience that is compassionate, and that is a, a positive tone setter.
1: It's a great time of the day to do that, too, before your brain starts to get activated with everything else that comes towards us.
0: Exactly. Yeah,
1: so it's nice to include that. I'm going to change around my my morning. Thank you for that.
0: Sure, to... sure. And, and sometimes it's a little trial and error to find what works for you. But um, I really encourage you to, to give that a go and, and we can check in on each other around uh, how that's working, especially around the inner critic. Sounds great. All right. Well, thank you, Sue. I always appreciate you being here.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. It's always a good exercise for my brain.
0: All right. See you the next time. <laughs> okay. Thank you for listening today. It was wonderful sharing this time with my colleague and friend Sue Merlino and discussing this really significant topic that affects those affected by compulsive sexual behavior. Be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes or please share our podcast on Spotify. And if there are any topics you would like us to discuss in the future, just let us know. I look forward to you joining us on future podcasts and thanks again for being with us today.